Yes, if you wish, uh, can turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 12. We take our readings uh, from verse 1 to 8, and then we also read Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 11. Let's start from Romans chapter 8, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 12, from verse 1. This is the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace, so for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and in the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one, members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Let's read verse 1 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. This is the word of God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not unto his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the word of God, and we have this topic tonight, trusting God to speak unto us through this topic that says, Genuine Transformation. Genuine Transformation. So if something is genuine, the first thing that comes to our mind is there may be fake as the opposite of genuine. So there will be fake transformation. So we'll be looking at genuine transformation tonight, which is a necessity to live a life worthy of our calling, a life pleasant unto God, not unto man. Now, at our first heading, it says, the mercies of God. The mercies of God. If you look at where we read in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What a translation says, I urge you, brothers, by the great mercies of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Now, mercy is simply a compassion or forgiveness shown toward someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. So if someone showed, showed you mercy, which means you have done something that you deserve to be punished, and then that person or that entity has the power to punish or to harm you or to harm me. But if that person showed me mercy, which means have forgiven me, have shown compassion, and has the power to do that. I deserve to be punished. And this is how God, God demonstrated his love for us. And he's still demonstrating. Because every now and then we fall short of the glory of God. And it is by God's mercy that we even deserve to live to, for the next day. If God will to deal with us according to our weaknesses, then none of us deserve to live for the next day. It is by his mercy. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We did nothing that attracts God's attention to save us is just mercy of God. While we were yet sinners. So God did not wait until we have attained a level of righteousness before he will send Jesus Christ. But in a situation where we are hopeless, we have nothing to help ourselves, God sent his own son. That's the magnitude of God's mercy. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5 says, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in transpasses, met us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
And, and, and in the, the Bible in Romans say, by this great mercy of God, the writer says, I urge you to offer your bodies. So what shall we do? We are asked to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. We remember, whenever we, we, we hear of sacrifice, we know when something is dedicated or it has been set aside to be sacrificed, that thing is like completely is just waiting for the time but will no longer exist. Sacrifice is attributed to death, no longer alive. But now, two words are coined here, living sacrifice. So how will something that is dead live? That's the question. Living sacrifice. And this is what we are asked to, 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 to exhibit, to show the lifestyle that we are asked to live, a living sacrifice. So to us to understand living sacrifice, you, you, you read it from Romans chapter 6, verse 10 to 11. The Bible says, for the death that he died, that is Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So he died to sin once and for all, and the life that he lives is what? He lives to God. And verse 11 says, Likewise, you also, you and I, reckon yourselves to be dead into, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our God. So when the Bible asks us to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, it's telling us that, yes, we are alive, but alive to God, but to sin, consider yourself dead. That is living sacrifice. Living to God, dead to sin. So anything that is sin, I am dead. And you know a dead body doesn't respond. So I don't respond to sin. I am dead to it. Sac sac I'm, I've sacrificed. I'm sac a sacrifice. But anything that is for God, I'm alive. I respond to it. That is a living sacrifice. Amen. So this tells us that living a holy life acceptable to God should be a way of appreciating God for what he has done for us. I find this very encouraging in my little work with God. I find it because I live the way I live, not in expectation of what God will do, but in appreciation of what God has done. That has been an encouragement to me. Because he has done something that nothing on my own will grant that thing to me. Sending his only because while I'm yet a sinner. So whenever I think of that, I say my life is a, I live my life as an appreciation. He has done it. What do I need again? So when, you, when, when somebody did something good for you, you will never want to pay back with evil. You will always try to see that you please that person. That is how we need to, to live for God. Pleasing God should be a way of appreciating what he has done for us. That's the message of God. And this takes us to our second heading, which is renewing of your mind. This is our second heading tonight. Renewing of your mind. 
If we look at verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but, so whenever you hear but, something is coming in contrast, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is to tell us that if we are Christians and our minds are not renewed, then understanding the will of God becomes difficult for us. You get into confusion. When, when, when something comes along your way, we, you, you, you remain confused. Is this the will of God? You keep on asking, is really this the will of God? This situation, this particular challenge, is it the will of God for me? So we see the need for our mind to be renewed. And if our mind is renewed, that, then that will lead to what? To a transformation. So for us to be able to test and approve what God's will is, we must be genuinely transformed. I say genuinely transformed. Now let me stop here and, and, and make a difference. When we talk of transformation, if you read your Bible well, there are two types of transformation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, I read here, the Bible says, For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Verse 53, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. This is a transformation that will come when Christ appears. It's not the transformation we are talking about tonight. That transformation will happen when, this last, when the trumpet sounds, when Christ appears, or when we die. Now, why that transformation is needed because this sinful body will not see God, will not enter the kingdom of God. So these, our bodies must be transformed. So it's not the transformation we are talking about tonight. The transformation we are talking about tonight is a transformation that we still in this body, but in operating in different lifestyle as we await the final transformation. So it's a change in lifestyle. Your age doesn't change. Your, your color doesn't change. Your height doesn't change. But something has changed from within that completely changed the way you live. That is the transformation we are talking about tonight. And the Bible says for that transformation to take place, the mind must be renewed. And I ask myself, why, upon all the parts of the body, why will the Bible just pinpoint the mind? There's something there that God wants us to understand. The mind is simply the faculty of consciousness and thought. The mind will never remain empty. It's a vacuum that must be filled, either with good or evil. So by the time that your mind is empty, maybe 
you no longer exist or you reach a certain point that you cannot take decision for yourself. Sometimes more than 100 years, even I, I, I can see people in their hundreds still, their minds functioning. So it's a faculty of consciousness and thought. And there is a reason why the Bible asks us, or Bible requires that our mind must be transformed, must be renewed before we can be transformed genuinely. As I said earlier on, you can't leave the mind without anything in it. So it's either you fill your mind with good or evil, and that will determine whether you are genuinely transformed or you are just being hypocrite. You may just pretend that, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm transformed. But deep within you, you know that you are not yet transformed. So God never intended for us to live according to the world system and ways of doing things. That is why I say, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not copy. The world is always, the, 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 the way the world operates is always in contrast to the way God wants us to operate. So that is why God said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So if you are using the pattern of this world, to now uh, uh, prove your transformation, you are just taking the wrong, the, the, the wrong element. Amen. The world is supposed to learn from the church, not the church learning from the world. The church is supposed to set an example to the world. So when the Bible asks us to let our minds renewed for a genuine transformation, what does it exactly God want us to do? Romans 8, chapter 5, the Bible says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit two pathways, as we have seen in the morning. These two pathways go through from Genesis to Revelation. You can find it in different ways as we learn in the morning. Here this evening is, there are two pathways. Either living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit. So look at it. Romans chapter 8 also talk about the mind. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. So we say the mind is the faculty of consciousness and thoughts. So if your mind is set on the things of the flesh, then you are far, far, far away from this transformation that we are talking about. But those who live according to the spirit, their minds are set on the things of the spirit. So it's either two. It's either your mind is set on the things of the flesh or your mind is set on the things of the spirit. That is the two pathways. From Cain, Cain and Abel, Esau, Jacob, 
Babylon, Jerusalem, flesh, spirit, narrow gate, wider gate. That is how it goes to Revelation. The spirit and the flesh are always in conflict with each other. We have seen in the morning the enmity that is there. It has been established. And they are always in conflict. So you are on, on, on the other side. You can't be on both sides. You are either operating according to the spirit or operating according to the flesh. But you may pretend that you are operating according to the flesh while your fruits are what? Fruit of the flesh. Shortly we'll see those ones. In Galatians 5, verse 19 to 20. So, the Bible is very practical. Now, what is it? What, what does it mean to live according to the flesh? We need to look at it. We need to use the scripture to understand this. And also, what does it mean to live according to the spirit? And that takes us to Galatians 5, 19. Let's start with the works of the flesh. Let's examine ourselves. Let's use the word of God to examine ourselves and to know in which pathway are we really walking in. Because we have now two pathways that we must choose one to renew our mind with if we really want to be genuinely transformed. And the one is what? The spirit. And then let's see what the Bible tells us about these two pathways, flesh and the spirit. Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious, which are sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, impurity and witchcraft, hatred, discord, feats and rage, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, urges, and the like. I warned you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of the flesh. And I have to ask myself, are these the fruits that are seen in me? Are these the fruits that I exhibit? Are these part of my lifestyle? Very powerful words here. Hatred, discord, feats and rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction or divisions and envy and the like. And the most scary part of it is the Bible says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is sure. And all that I pray is, God, may this your words not stand against me on the day of judgment. Deliver me from my hypocrisy. Enable me to examine myself from your words. May I use your word to examine myself. If these acts are found in you, your mind is set on the flesh. And you are blocking yourself from what? That, this transformation that we are talking about. 
And the, 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 the consequences, if, if these habits continue in you, you may claim to be transformed, but you will be misinterpreting the will of God, confusing yourself and confusing other people. What about the other pathway? Living according to spirit, which is a necessity for a genuine transformation. The same Galatians chapter 5, now from verse 22 to 23, it says, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are nine in number. Against such, against such things, there is no law. Brethren, the Bible is so wide. I was discussing this afternoon. I say, when I read this passage, I say, let me just take one. Don't even overburden yourself. Take one of these fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And then to understand it more, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It talks about love, this love that we are talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is, it describes this love that is listed among the fruit of the Spirit. And this is a love that is patience, love that is not self-seeking, love that is not easily angered, love that does not keep records of wrongs, love that is tolerance towards one another, love that does not rejoice when one falls. That is it. When someone is struggling, how, how, do, how, how does that one appear? How, how do you react to it? How do you feel? If someone is down, does that give you joy? Do you walk towards encouraging such a person to stand back to their feet and continue in the path of righteousness? Although somebody's failure, somebody's uh, predicament gives you joy, or do you contribute even to somebody's predicament and somebody's fault? If you are doing that, you are not exhibiting, you are not practicing this love. Just take one. We are not even talking of less patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, peace, and, and so on and so forth, goodness and faithfulness. So these are the fruit of the Spirit. And as I said, Christianity is not a theory. Christianity is a practice. It's a practical life. It's practice. And that is why the first people to be called Christians in Antioch is not what they say, but is what they, when people saw what they do, their lifestyle. So you can't claim to be walking or being, living according to the Spirit and then your fruits are the obvious work of the flesh. And then you don't need to stand on the microphone and say, I am living by the, I'm living according to the Spirit. You don't need to say it. The way you talk to people, the way you address issues, the way you associate with others speaks on your behalf. You don't need to say it. 
Are your words gracious? Are you easily angered? Are you rude? Arrogant? Those are the works of the flesh. And the Bible calling us tonight is if our minds are set on those things, those works of the flesh, then we still have a long way to go to be transformed. But if our minds are set on the fruit of the Spirit, we have taken the right step, the right direction towards renewing our mind, which will lead to a genuine transformation and then living according to God's will. Our third aiding, which is the last, says, let the mind of Christ be in you. Now, I think it's good when we look at these things to, 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 to see how we can help ourselves in practical sense. How do we now develop our minds to be set on things of the Spirit? What does the Bible say? The preaching of the Word of God will remain incomplete if we don't have to learn from Christ. If we have nothing to learn from Christ, the gospel remains incomplete. Jesus Christ is our role model. Jesus Christ is our master. He asks us to set our eyes on him. So we need to follow his footsteps. And this is where we pick our thought heading from the book of Philippians chapter 5. Sorry, chapter 2. I will just take verse 5 to 11 and then... It says, from verse 5 now, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the minds that we are asked to copy from. If the Bible says do not copy from the pattern of this world, the Bible does not stop there. If the Bible says don't do this, does not stop there. Continue reading. It will tell you what to do. God call us as, as, as never left us confused with our direction. If he asks us not to do something, he will tell us what to do. And anything God asks us to do, he gives us the grace to do that. He will never ask us to do something that is beyond our ability. So how do we develop that mind? The answer is to learn from Christ. And that is what we, we see in Philippians. See, let that mind that was in Christ be in you. So if genuine transformation comes as a result of the renewing of the mind, what type of mind? The mind that was in Christ. And how can we put it in one word? From Philippians, we, 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 we see that 
the Bible say, he is God, but did not consider his position as God to be something. He kept his position aside and then came down in the form of what? Human. Take the form of human. So keep aside his position and then came back. He humbled himself in a point of obedience to even to a, to, to a death, even a death on the cross. So the key word there is what? Humility. That is the mind that was in Christ. The mind of humility. That is why the Bible says, we, we say, uh, now consider, don't, don't, if, 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 uh, don't, don't copy from the pattern of this world. The world system is, you start from above. If you want to be great, you have to be seen up there. Biblical way is, the way up is always down. If you have to go biblical, if you want to be great, come down first. And that was what happened with Christ. When he humbled himself and he came down, took up the form of man, the Bible says, God raised him and then his name was what? God, God raised his name above any other name. And at the mention of that name, every knee must bow in heaven and on earth. But the first thing that he did is to humble himself. So the mind that was in Christ was a mind of humility. And for us to be transformed, we must clothe ourselves with the same mind. No servant is greater than his master. If Christ will humble himself before he will be exalted, then there is no way for us, no any other way. We want to be exalted by God. We want to be transformed. We need to humble ourselves first. Why is humility a necessity for living according to the Spirit? Why? The answer is, now if we go back to Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, this fruit of the Spirit, if today I am able to, 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 to show love, biblical love, I'm able to be patient, I'm able to be kind, I'm able to be good, it's not that I have the ability, but it's by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that enables me to do that. So someone that is not practicing that, it's not that I have something better than him. It's just the grace of God upon my life that enables me to live that kind of life. So that I shouldn't boast that I love more than this man. I, 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 I am patient more than this. No, it's because of the grace of God. Amen. So, if now the grace of God is what is needed for us to live godly life, or let, we can put it this way, if humility is the necessary thing that we need to live a godly life, how now? And then, and then grace is what enables us to to, to live according to the Spirit, then how do we access the grace now? That is the next question. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, I read. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches them to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So when you see somebody living a godly life, 
is the grace of God upon that person. When you see somebody say no to any kind of ungodliness, it's because of the grace of God that is upon that person. How do we access the grace of God? Is it for everybody? I always say no. The grace of God, it has released. It's for everybody, but it's not everybody as having it. It might sound confusing, but the Bible will clear it for us. How do we access the grace of God? Humility is the answer. Jesus Christ, whilst on earth, Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. While on earth, he was in the form of man, so he can feel pains. He was hungry, he was thirsty, so he needed the grace of God for him to remain obedient even to the cross. And what unlocked the grace of God upon Christ is the first step that he took, and that first step is the humility. That he humbled himself and he came down, then God unlocked the grace upon him, and is the grace that sustained him to say yes to the will of God, even that to, to, a, to a point that if that will requires him to give his life. He say yes. We need the grace of God upon our lives. Humility is the answer. James 4 verse 6. We use scripture to interpret scripture. James 4 verse 6, the B part of it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. First Peter chapter 5 verse 5 to 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That was what happened to Christ. So humility is the key to accessing God's grace. And the grace of God is mandatory, is, is a necessity for living a righteous life. Do we see how the order is? You can't place one before the, the, you, the order is there. Bible has given us the order. So the formula, I call it the formula for, a living, for living a genuinely transformed life is first, humility. From humility leads to grace. Because humility unlocks the grace of God. And then the grace of God helps holiness. And then holiness leads to eternal life. That is the order. It's from Christ. The first thing that Christ did is to humble himself. So if, if the order, if the first one is not in place, brother, the struggle continues. We must take the first step, which is humility. The Bible says God resists the proud and give grace to the humble. You need the grace of God to live godly life, humble yourself first. The first step toward, and, and, and then the opposite is always the case. We will look at the opposite now, because if we stop here, it might not be helpful. We will look at the opposite formula. So, humility, grace, and holiness, and then the opposite of humility is what? Pride. Biblical. 
right? In the book of Proverbs 16, verse 18 to 19, the Bible says, Pride goes before destruction and a naughty spirit before a fall. Verse 19 says, Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So to be on the side, the pathway of spirit, living according to spirit, first you, we need to humble ourselves. That will unlock the grace of God upon our lives and is the grace that will enable us to live, to, to, to what? To bear the fruit of the spirit, living a godly life, and then leading to internal life. The opposite is when pride comes, right? Because opposite of humility is so automatically if you are not humble, you are pride. Pride leads to self. You see, the two pathways, they have their formula. Humility leads to grace and then living by the Spirit. Pride leads to self. Self leads to sinful life. And that is where the works of the flesh will be manifesting. Envy, hatred, division, and so on and so forth. And that leads to the final destination is internal destruction. These two pathways are there. Whenever you read your Bible, take, take a time. Consider these two pathways. They are always there. And they are in conflict with each other. And it's good for us to understand what pride is. You know, sometimes you may be pretending, I'm humble, I'm humble. Pride, we may understand it now, is simply refusal to be teachable. No matter the knowledge that I have. Yes, you say. I have PhD, I teach computer science. Sometimes I ask my students, I learn from my students. But if I will allow my qualification to go over my head, I will miss something important. So refusal to be teachable, no matter what. Even if that thing, yes, you are saying is right, somebody wants to draw your attention, especially using the word of God. Humble yourself. Refusal to be corrected. These are the signs of a proud man or a proud woman. And that always leads to self, operating in self, exhibiting, manifesting the work of the flesh, leading to sinful life, and then finally internal destruction. These are the two pathways. And then one leads to genuine transformation. Applying the formula of humility, grace, holiness, internal life, then the mind is renewed. The grace is unlocked. Living a righteous life is not a struggle because the grace of God is there as appeared to all men and teaches them to say no. Brothers and sisters, if we are looking unto Jesus, then we must follow his footsteps in order to spare our souls from internal destruction.